Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Garay, TJ Beater, and Kathy Garay. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. And good Friday afternoon to everybody in the U.S. Good evening to those in Ireland and the U.K. And good morning to those on the West Coast of the USA. This is John Parker. Uh, Rory and Kathy are attending the Solvang Greyhound Gathering in California. And so they asked me to step in and guest host today, which I was happy to do. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, a little bit about my background. I'm a 25-year Greyhound enthusiast and uh, Greyhound adoption volunteer. Uh, I wear several hats, one with GPA. I'm the uh, legal advisor for GPA and more recently here, kind of the unofficial coordinator of the uh, GPA Irish Greyhounds to America program, which brings us to the subject of today's show, which is rehoming Irish Greyhounds. And our guest today is uh, with uh, the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust, Barry Coleman. Barry, welcome. Good afternoon, John, and thank you for inviting me onto your show. And also good afternoon and good morning to U.S. listeners and good evening to Irish, U.K. and European listeners. We're very glad to have you. I thought we'd start out a little bit about, uh, just let's talk about you a little bit and tell our listeners a bit about how you got started in, uh, into greyhounds and greyhound racing and greyhound welfare. Again, of course, uh, I suppose uh, I'm originally from Yorl in County Cork, where there is a Greyhound Stadium. Um, my father was the previous racing manager of Yorl Greyhound Stadium. So I grew up, uh, effectively, the Yorl Greyhound Stadium would have been my playground growing up. Um, I spent a lot of time working there part-time and that. Uh, moved away for a couple of years from home then and uh, got back into the Greyhound racing scene again as a part-time racing manager at the Old Greyhound Stadium before moving on to Waterford Greyhound Stadium for a couple of years. I spent seven years as racing manager then in Clanmel when it reopened after a, a, a period of time when it was closed. And, and since 2008, I've been uh, Irish Greyhound Board Welfare and Racing Operations Manager. So within that role of, uh, of being welfare manager, uh, one of my main responsibilities would be to uh, identifying rehoming opportunities for retired greyhounds. Um, the, a lot of our greyhounds, the vast majority of them, would be rehomed through European rehoming agencies, which we have to try and uh, rehome more in Ireland. And uh, we have to uh, look to the West now as well, and uh, we're grateful for GPA National reaching out to us uh, uh, with the, the greyhounds um, rehomings in America. And I'd also like to thank Ms. Tina Kelly from the Greyhound Health Initiative uh, for making the contact between GPA National and the Retired Greyhound Trust. Absolutely. We, uh, um, you know, it seems that every Irish Greyhound person I know is at least a second generation and often a third or fourth uh, generation Greyhound person. I think that I, I often comment on social media about what a great job the Irish Greyhound community does in uh, keeping young people involved in greyhounds. I see these pictures of coursing meetings or uh, winter circles at the tracks, and there's always several <clears throat> little red-headed Irish kids there with them. So I think you all do a great job. It's something that it's a page we need to take here in America. We need to 
get more uh, young people, particularly young children, uh, involved with greyhounds and develop a love of the breed as, as you folks in Ireland have. So I think it's great work you're doing with your multi-generation greyhound families. Uh, so you mentioned yeah. some of the various hats you wear uh, in, uh, in the various organizations. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. What, what is your work with the Irish Greyhound Board, and then what's your work with the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust? Well, it, it, uh, as racing operations manager of the Irish Greyhound Board, I suppose responsibilities would be ensuring that um, uh, that issues that tracks uh, in relation to racing systems, etc., uh, are sorted out. Uh, ensuring that the track maintenance programs are implemented correctly, uh, and uh, uh, the track maintenance, uh, the supposed to best practice in track maintenance, is implemented at all all tracks. Then as well. Um, also in relation to the grading system, uh, ongoing works and improvements and upgrades in relation to the grading system, also our, our computerized software and that the race management system and that's uh, working with the IT department and that to uh, implement any upgrades and that's uh, if there's changes in uh, in racing regulations, etc. then as well. Um, most recently there was um, uh, the board had gone uh, um, they changed this novice racing structure, and uh, it was a case of, of uh, all of the novice greyhounds running in in in, uh, in in in. First of all, it started as one grade, but now there's three grades of novice greyhounds, which would be first timers, and they're all um, they're all put into sweepstakes. So it's an eliminating sweepstake that there would maybe 24 dogs may start the house and may reduce to 12 for the next round, and then six for the final. So. All uh, novice dogs like would be running like with like, and they they wouldn't be uh, taking on the more experienced dogs until such time as they're actually out of the out of the uh, novice competitions. So uh, I suppose like that's um, uh, what I grew up on grading cards, etc. Then uh, dealing with members of the public and queries in relation to the grading system, um, and also uh, my work in, in uh, with the Retired Greyhound Trust as well as a manager. I'm also secretary of the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust. So. That would involve liaising with private greyhound rehoming organizations uh, in Ireland and in Europe, and uh, most recently in the U.S., um, uh, introducing, um, we'll say, initiatives and that that, that would promote uh, retired greyhound as pets in Ireland. Uh, we'll be going on the media and national television and that uh, with some retired greyhounds and maybe some volunteers just to show uh, what wonderful pets greyhounds make uh, dealing with um, with owners who wish to retire their re- re- um, retired greyhounds, um, the Retired Greyhound Trust uh, offers um, uh, owners uh, a scheme whereby that there's a contribution towards neutering and inoculations, vaccinations, rabies shots, pet passports, etc. So we work with vets uh, in in an owner's area to explain what's required, and we provide um, financial assistance then to the owners. Because the uh, Irish Retired Greyhound Trust was established in 1997. It celebrated its 21st anniversary in 2018. Um, it was established by the Irish Greyhound Board to afford owners the opportunity to rehome their retired greyhounds. It's financed by a 2% deduction of win prize money. For every, every greyhound that wins a race, there's a 2% of that win prize money goes to the Retired Greyhound Trust. And the Irish, um, the Irish Greyhound Board then will match that 2% as well. We also get um, donations from members of the public and also volunteers um, and uh, industry participants who partake in uh, charitable events uh, with the proceeds going to the Retired Greyhound Trust. So we're always grateful for, for donations uh, and uh, uh, part of money that's there would allow us to, to, to rehome as many uh, greyhounds as, as we possibly can. 
I know that in uh, in uh, the UK, the uh, uh, <clears throat> Greyhound Trust there is funded in part by uh, the bookmaking companies. The, the bookmakers uh, participate with the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust there in Ireland. Wait, uh, through uh, voluntary donations, um, and also when they the sponsoring of, a, of an event at a track, and that uh, there would be increased prize money, and there would be a two percent deduction of that. So effectively, they would be contributing in some way. Um, uh, uh, and uh, it's it's I suppose it's, it's only right that they do as well, seeing as that they, they would be uh, benefiting from the from the greyhound industry as well. But um, some donations and and some true sponsorship then. Uh, in recent times, then uh, the Irish Greyhound Board have uh, set up the, the care fund, and that where a percentage of the of the sponsorship money will go directly into the care fund, which will be used uh, for all of the, the the recent initiatives which were announced by the Irish Greyhound Board, um, which are fostering um, developing care centres, also race injury recovery schemes. Um, the, a traceability system uh, is is under tender <coughs> at the moment. Um, uh, and once that's implemented, we'll be able to record the location and the controller, um, the details of all racing greyhounds throughout their key events, such as birth, microchip registration, racing, changes of ownership, transfers, export, etc., retirement and end of life. So it should give us a clear picture of just exactly how many greyhounds uh, are, um, are retired at the end of the year and where they go. And uh, we can educate then people, like if they're making a decision to euthanize greyhounds once they retire, we can, we can identify uh, individuals and uh, educate them then in relation to the benefits and the importance of uh, rehoming retired greyhounds. Very good. Uh, before we uh, talk about the uh, Irish Greyhound Trust a bit more, uh, the IGB, the Irish Greyhound Board, it oversees all greyhound racing in Ireland. Is that correct? Yes, uh, the Irish Greyhound Board is a commercial semi-state body, which is uh, its responsibility for the promotion, the regulation, and the ongoing commercial development of the greyhound industry in Ireland. And that's done through its subsidiary company, uh, Greyhound Racing Operations Ireland Limited, uh, it operates seven, sorry, nine stadia nationwide. There are also six privately owned stadia in Ireland, which are licensed and regulated by the Irish Greyhound Board. So that's a total of 15 stadia in the Republic of Ireland. And there are also two Greyhound stadia in Northern Ireland, which are regulated by the Irish Coursing Club. I see. And does the IGB serve as a registry as well, or does that take it up by another entity? The registrations body for Greyhounds in Ireland would be the Irish Coursing Club, uh, which also the Irish Greyhound Stud Book. Ah, oh, very good. So I was going to ask you about the relationship between the uh, Irish Greyhound Board and the Irish Coursing Club. So the Irish Coursing Club serves as the registry that the IGB yes. uh, looks to for registering of all racing and coursing greyhounds in Ireland. And that would be the, the Irish Coursing Club, all, all coursing and racing greyhounds. And the Irish Greyhound Board will be the licensing and regulating uh, of the Greyhound Stadium. Yeah, and and for our American listeners, when you say stadia, you uh, we would call them tracks. So exactly, to, exactly. Just yeah, to yeah. clarify yeah. the terminology there. So that, that's no a, that's a, that's a remarkable number that in Ireland itself, with a population, and I Google this, about four point nine million people, you have yeah. uh, uh, fifteen tracks. There in Ireland and in here in the United States, with about 320 million people, we have we have five or six tracks. We will have five or six tracks after 
the the rest of the Florida tracks uh, closed down at the end of uh, 2020. So it's a pretty remarkable difference. And Irish Grey yeah, and uh, Greyhound racing remains quite popular in Ireland, doesn't it? Oh, it, it certainly is. Like um, it's a, it's a, a a great occasion. Like it's a, a very rural and that in rural tracks and that uh, they host benefit meetings. Uh, there's a close knit community um, of, of greyhound owners. Um, I'd say uh, there's only around 80 premises which are registered as greyhound breeding establishments in Ireland, which means that um, there are four or more bitches uh, which have been bred from or which are being used for breeding purposes in, in Ireland. So that's what only 80 would say that have four or more bitches, where the, the vast majority of breeders in Ireland, they, they would have maybe one or two litters every year. So they're, they're scattered um, uh, throughout throughout the land, really. Like, and uh, they, they, we say the the tracks then that are regionalised around that then as well. Like, so uh, it's 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 very much um, uh, a community a community sport then as well. Like, um, our trainers, like um, it's uh, we've only 100 public trainers. We're around 250 private trainers. The difference being that a public trainer can can uh, train more than four per award. Uh, Private trainer would have a maximum of four for the ward. Again, the vast majority of uh, of owners would be just owner trainers as well. Like so, that kind of uh, shows the, the we say the, the extent of this um, uh, around the country. Now, does Ireland have what was often called flapping tracks in England? Do you have those in in Ireland unlicensed tracks? Uh, no, no, um, you have to be licensed uh, to to operate greyhound racing in Ireland. There, there, there will be schooling tracks, all right, uh, uh, for the purpose of schooling only, like getting dogs uh, going, etc. But the tracks would all be um, uh, uh, IGB licensed area. I see. What uh, uh, and, and Barry? What, for example, in 2019, do you have a handle on how many individual greyhounds were registered with the Irish Coursing Club for racing uh, in Ireland? Uh, what, what I have, the, the figures, there was 2,324 litters bred in 2019. Approximately 300 of those litters will be bred purely for coursing. So that leaves about 2,000 litters bred for racing. Uh, and it's racing in Ireland and in the UK, but effectively uh, 6,000 Irish-bred greyhounds were registered to race in the UK by the GBGB last year, which makes 83% of the greyhounds registered uh, are Irish-bred greyhounds. There's also a small number uh, exported annually to race in the U.S. and Australia. But so, so that effectively, the 2,000 litters are, um, uh, are, are bred for the purposes of, of majority Ireland and the U.K. Um, the con- continental racing is, is, uh, is there as well uh, during the summer months, and there will be many Irish-bred greyhounds racing on the continent as well. So it's not just for Ireland we're breeding. It's, it's for a number of uh, jurisdictions. So in many ways, Ireland Ireland really is kind of the center of the world for for greyhound breeding, isn't it? That would be my opinion, anyway. And uh, they're they're well 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 bred, well selected uh, matings, um, well reared, uh, well schooled, etc. Then as well, like so, you you have um, like it goes just just goes to show, like with the English Derby early every year, it's it's there's probably five or six of the runners in the Derby every year, which would be Irish bred greyhounds as well in, in in the UK Derby. I can remember going to coursing meetings in uh, England, and and quite a few uh, 
there were quite a few um, Irish greyhounds that would come over to run uh, in the Waterloo Cup, for example, and there was yeah. always good uh, uh, a lot of joshing between the Irish uh, greyhound enthusiasts and the English ones. So that was always fun to to hear. They would they would okay. engage a lot of good humored ribbing between each other. Absolutely, and that still goes on with the national meet. Of course, the meeting in Clonmel as well. It's uh, um, it occurs in Clonmel in County Tipperary. Uh, I wouldn't be too far from myself, and a previous racing manager in Clonmel. So the huge crowds that that it would bring into the track uh, is uh, um, a lot of tourists and people travel over from the UK and that, and they, they nearly have their annual holiday in in Tipperary um, to coincide with the national course and meeting. Yes, I came over in 2009 uh, to see the national coursing meeting. That's, that was my first park coursing uh, experience, and I loved it. I, it was it was it, the, all the Irish folks were so hospitable and gracious to us few Americans that were that were there. We were kind of a novelty, and um, yeah, once I got kind of used to the brogue and could understand everybody, it was it was a lot of fun. But the turnout was just tremendous, and uh, uh, it was a great time to see all those all those folks there. Um, what, what, um, go ahead. No, it's it's all for the crack, as we'd say here. Like it's just pure fun and banter. Um, it's three, three, four days, uh, coursing by day, racing by night, and it's uh, it's 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 loved by all the enthusiasts when when they travel over. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned uh, racing in Europe. Uh, tell us a little bit that that's. I, I take it that's primarily. Club or amateur racing is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my understanding of this uh, would be like they they might have events maybe run on the Friday and the Saturday uh, um, that they could travel up there with their dogs. They would travel huge distances, like maybe from the Czech Republic into Belgium or, or the Netherlands uh, with their dogs, and they they have maybe a knockout competition on a Friday with the finals on, on the Saturday uh, over various events. Um, it's strong in Sweden. Uh, Denmark, I understand. Uh, uh, Hungary now, there's, there's, there's a wonderful track uh, in Hungary. It's um, it's also a race course, a horse race course. But uh, I've seen some of the pictures uh, on the internet, and uh, it looks a fantastic stadium. And, and they have this, the a straight straight racing then um, in front of the stand uh, between the stand and and the horse the horse track itself. Uh, it's, it's it's very um, it's for uh, amateurs predominantly in there, but people would travel uh, thousands of kilometers like to be able to get to a race meeting and they, they meet up, maybe um, get together, and it's 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 it's, 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 it's in the blood greyhound racing, and they enjoy it. And uh, um, uh, um, as far as I'm aware, like just with the extremes of weather on the continent, and that is predominantly during the summer months, and that that they, that they would have their their meetings. Yes. Yes. Now you mentioned briefly uh, some of the new initiatives of the uh, Irish Re- Retired Greyhound Trust. I was particularly interested in hearing about the the, the care centers, the foster centers for the greyhounds uh, awaiting adoption. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, uh, middle of the year this year, the Irish Greyhound Board announced that they were going to develop care centers. Um, the, the, the provision of the care centers were recently tendered for. Um, and they're at present nearing the final stages of evaluation. So what's, what happened at a, a care centre where the greyhound goes in? The greyhound then is profiled inside there. The operators would get to know the dog, uh, send the profile back to the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust, 
Um, to summarise the dog's characteristics, uh, maybe didn't retrain the dog maybe with with small dogs, uh, other other breeds of dogs, uh, medium sized large dogs, just so that we'd know for sure uh, what uh, uh, did we say what traits the greyhound has and uh, what the greyhound will be compatible with if if a potential adopter had other uh, domestic pets in the house as well. Uh, not all of them, as you know, some will, maybe will be cat-friendly, and uh, we've even seen pictures recently whereby greyhounds could be rabbit-friendly in that. Uh, so <laughs> not all of them, but you will have the one or two, and that could be a person with a rabbit might be interested in having a greyhound. At least we can identify one that would be 100% suitable, uh, as as with a cat. Uh, Europe, the Europeans, are uh, their cat-friendly greyhounds are much sought after. You put one of them up and profile them, up on our, our Facebook page, and within hours, the, the greyhound is reserved by one of the European rehoming agencies. And, and I'm told, like, it's very rare for someone to decide on having a greyhound as their very first pet. They would generally have uh, a pet already in the house, be it a do- another dog, breed of dog, be it a cat, um, uh, and they just want something that they know uh, there won't be any issues with it afterwards. And you understand the reason why, and... Uh, uh, say, look, if we know the potential adopter is looking for a particular dog, then it might might take six months to find that suitable dog. But at the care centres, we'd get uh, a 100% understanding of the greyhounds. Um, majority of our greyhounds would be coming directly from the owners through the rehoming scheme. Uh, greyhounds that are selected uh, by the European agencies, they they would hold the dog, the owners, at such time as the, as the transport has been arranged for the dog. Some of the rehoming agencies might send over representatives to do a bit of a tour of uh, of Ireland to look at dogs and take photographs, profile the dogs. They will promote those dogs then when they go back to their own country and uh, have homes ready and waiting for the dogs when they do arrive. Other agencies will just take them over and put them into a care centre uh, when the dogs arrive over. So. The agencies which we're dealing with, there's uh, different uh, processes and practices and that. So but with the care fund, an individual could come over to the care fund and maybe select 10 dogs from, from sorry, from the care center and uh, select 10 dogs. Um, get, we, we get them prepared in and uh, they will go on the next available transport. And when they go, the next 10 then or so will come in to replace those. So we're hoping that uh, and those care centers, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, John. Uh, where, where are the um, the new care centers that are being established in Ireland? There, what, what's the funding for them? Are they are they owner funded, IGB funded, IRGT funded? Well, how how is the funding arranged? That will be IGB funding. Uh, as but the uh, uh, the board of board gone recently approved this budget for 2020. Um, and within that budget, then there's an allocation of estimate of 3.4 million for uh, welfare and regulation. So we're hoping that the, the care fund will bring in in the region of uh, probably three quarters of a million euro and also with funding that's available uh, that wasn't spent in 2019 that there will be in and around uh, hopefully one million of, a, of a budget for welfare initiatives uh, to include traceability system, the care centres, um, working with, with the Greyhound Pets of America, um, a fostering program then which would be in, 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 outside of the care centres and that where people might have uh, three, four, five dogs and that that would be able to take them from the owners to uh, lessen the length of time that owners are holding onto their dogs for. 
Because we understand owners are looking to rehome their dogs, but the time the time that it takes to rehome them might be excessive at times, depending on the personality and the traits of the greyhound. If we could have a, a, a kind of a, uh, we'll say, a, a, a halfway house between the, the owner's kennels and the adoption, the uh, rehoming agency, it'll uh, lessen the length of time that the greyhound uh, has to remain with the owner then. So it might encourage owners then to go down the rehoming route then again. The fact that there is maybe a set time then, the maximum that you'll be holding your dog for is two months, three months, etc. And that you need, if the rehoming, um, uh, if the rehomings are, are, are if we're fairly active in the rehomings, it speeds up. But when there's a clogging up of a system at all and a slowdown in rehomings, um, the dogs would have to remain with their owners that little bit longer. Uh, so we're, we're trying to just develop um, initiatives that will lessen the length of time that the greyhounds remain with their owners. Mm-hmm. Is there many? Uh, is there many direct owner rehomings in in Ireland? Are many owners rehome their own dogs? Uh, a small few. Um, uh, a lot, uh, there could be a lot, a lot of dogs remain with their owners, like um, rather than uh, rather than they look to go through a rehoming program with them, they, they would find maybe relations, neighbours, etc. that might be interested in a greyhound. Um, uh, there, there will be a small few, but really, until we get the traceability system up and running, we won't know for sure where the, where the greyhounds uh, are actually going from uh, an owner's premises, that they may go to a friend or a neighbour as a pet. The, rele- the relevant body are notified in that, but as regards that dog being classified as a pet, um, it, we really don't know that until, unless the greyhound was prepared for rehoming under the rehoming scheme. Um, sometimes a greyhound would, would go uh, without being neutered, without the need for rabies, uh, may get the inoculations done themselves. So... The full traceability system uh, will give us a better understanding of how many greyhounds are actually rehomed by owners directly. And that'll be re-implemented. That'll be implemented in 2020. The, the traceability system. We're hoping so. It's uh, as I said, the, the, the tenders closed on the 19th, on the 16th of December for that. So all going well. Uh, it, the, the traceability system will be certainly worked on throughout 2020 anyway. And it'll give us a better understanding of uh, of the number of dogs, etc., that are in training, that are bred, that remain in Ireland, that um, that, that are exported. So it'll give us a a, a a great understanding of it. And then, like from um, people's uh, practices, then like we'll be able to educate them accordingly. Then, yeah, you know, we're we're pretty sure here in America that we're at the one hundred percent adoption. Right, that is to say, 100% of all greyhounds that aren't retained uh, for breeding, uh, but we don't know that absolutely for sure. Uh, and it would yeah, yeah. we'd be we'd be well served by a traceability system here. I've I've advocated that the NGA use uh, the, the the form that's used in England, uh, a withdrawal from racing form, where everybody files and their dogs re- withdrawn from racing permanently withdrawn. They file a form to indicate that that's case and so you you kind of have that cradle to grave uh traceability perfect exactly and it's the only way really to get a 100 uh, percent handle on everything really like uh it's uh it'll be, it'll be most welcome here anyway in ireland very good well i think we're about at the old mid-show break as uh 
Kathy and Rory always like to say it's time to turn out the hound. So I'll turn it over to uh, our producer for our mid-show break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Keep me, keep me, keep me. 
The GPA, that's Greyhound Pets of America. If you would like information on how you can adopt an X-Racing Greyhound, call 800-366-1472. These dogs are fit, healthy, happy, playful pets, good with children, and oh, do they love lots of hugs. Adopt a cool Greyhound today. Call 800-366-1472. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. And we are back with Barry Coleman of the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust and the Irish Greyhound Board. Uh, Barry, we were talking a little bit about your uh, the program uh, to uh, uh, rehome greyhounds in in Europe in European countries. Uh, the gro- the uh, rehoming agencies that you're working with there are these greyhounds specific, or are they uh, are all all breeds of dogs. Uh, some would be uh, greyhound specific. Others would be all breeds. Um, I suppose the countries that, that we rehome greyhounds to. Uh, we work with uh, uh, rehoming agencies, uh, reputable rehoming agencies in those jurisdictions, uh, some of which we've been working with for, since the formation of the Retired Greyhound Trust. Others are new organizations that maybe uh, have been started by ex-members of, of organizations which, uh, which finished up. So it's, it's, I suppose it can be busy, but you have to uh, know for sure then that you're dealing with, with good people, good organizations. So we, we start small and see how they're getting on, get feedback then, get pictures, photographs, and, uh, um, and uh, information back on, on greyhounds that they, they adopted just to make sure proper home checks, etc., are being carried out. So after a period of time, then we can have confidence in them and that, but it's just uh, small steps again, like starting out. So... I suppose we rehomed to Germany, Czech Republic, France, Belgium, Sweden, uh, Austria, Switzerland, Slovenia, Italy, and uh, also Holland. So right across Europe, uh, I suppose greyhounds are a rare breed across Europe too. Um, they, they're not really known, only, only those that, that are involved in the racing scene on the continent. So, and, and I suppose the, the plight of the greyhound in, in relation to um, uh, finding a home for them once they've retired from racing, uh, uh, I can only presume that some of the organizations, uh, uh, they, they, they realize like this, uh, there, there are greyhounds to be rehomed. Um, Ireland's, with, what do we say, 4.9 million or so population um, uh, just couldn't cater for, for the amount of greyhounds which retire. Um, but slowly we're walking into the Irish scene. The culture isn't good in Ireland uh, as rehoming um, greyhounds as pets, but through shows, through um, uh, mainstream pet shows and going on national television, etc., and that is creating awareness uh, how wonderful greyhounds are. And we've seen um, uh, a decent uptake in the last couple of months, uh, whereby we're starting to see Irish rehomings and uh, 
carry out the home checks and um, make sure that the dog is going into a good environment. Uh, and it's great to see, and the more greyhounds that are being walked in pub- public parks, etc., the, the the more that we will be home. That's great. I, you know, I, we, the conventional wisdom is, is that Ireland is about 15 years or so behind the U.S. in terms of, you know, the pub- the, the the popularity of the greyhound as a pet. So exactly. I've always thought it's one of the great ironies that the greyhound is so identified with the Irish national identity uh, that, um, you know, there's the, the Irish uh, uh, citizenry hasn't yet quite caught up to the notion of how... Uh, how wonderful a pet they make, and it sounds like some real good inroads are being made on that. So we'll we'll keep fingers crossed that more Irish greyhounds will end up living out their lives in Ireland. Exactly, and now, through the care centres as through, through the uh-huh. care centres, we we'll also um, encourage people to visit the care centres to see a number of dogs that are a bit available for rehoming. And they, uh, sometimes when you actually see a dog and uh, uh, get to understand it and then go away, think about it. That uh, it, it will make up your mind for you. Whereas some, a picture might not do anything or a profile. Whereas the care centres will have the ability to welcome potential adopters to visit the kennels and the premises uh, and see exactly what the dogs are like in, in, in a replicate a, a replication of a home environment as well. Like whereby the dog would be in and out, up and down the couch, and that so. We'd be hoping that the dogs in the care centres would be uh, fully house trained and home trained as well. Yes, I mean I think that was the big uh, what spurred adoption in the U.S. was that as they became more popular uh, and people would see them out walking in parks. We have several retail mm-hmm. national retail chains that allowed dogs in their uh, in their stores. People would see them there. They would approach them and so forth. It's really a word of mouth thing. And once they see that they do make great pets and aren't, you know, they they see them away from the track without the the muzzles and so forth, and they realize these aren't these high strung dogs that so many people used to think greyhounds were. So I think that's going to be a real. Uh, the care centers will definitely get them out in the uh, among the citizens, and they'll see what uh, what great dogs they make. So uh, good luck, and we'll we'll keep. Uh, keep posted about that. Thanks, John. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, GPA uh, Irish Greyhounds to uh, to America program uh, uh, for our listeners uh, who are uh, have been hearing about that. The genesis of it was uh, uh, a couple of organizations uh, that uh, GPA knew about. Flight uh, is one that Tina Kelly heads up, and then the FIG Flying Irish Greyhounds. Uh, a number of us had long said, "Well, you know." Um, if we reach a shortage point in, in the U.S., which we have at this point, then, um, uh, you know, let's look to, uh, to Ireland and England to bring uh, greyhounds over from there. But some of the naysayers would say, uh, well, it's going to be too expensive and it would, it would increase the adoption fee and nobody would pay it and so forth. But we're finding that's, that's not the case. And through the work of flight and flying Irish greyhounds, we saw that it is, in fact, uh, doable. And so um, uh, I and Rory Gray and some of the other folks with GPA National, we got with Tina Kelly and said, Tina introduces some of these nice Irish folks who uh, might be interested in it. And so uh, we've kind of taken it from there. What, what was, what's your perspective on, on your first contact with, uh, with GPA? It was wonderful that, uh, that, that you reached out uh, to the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust uh, 
we we have um, uh, an ever growing rehoming list of greyhounds. Uh, as I mentioned, like that, uh, the vast majority will go to European rehoming agencies. Um, it appears that uh, those rehomings are drying up a little in recent times. So um, it was great to receive the call uh, from uh, the GPA National to say there are opportunities there in the US. Um, we certainly jumped on board straight away. Um, uh, at that stage, then it came to identifying uh, possible routes for the dogs to get them there. Um, and I know the numbers that um, that was initially being spoken about, like it, it would have been uh, uh, jaw dropping. But look, as I say, the greyhounds are there. If the Americans need greyhounds, we certainly uh, have greyhounds that are ready and uh, prepared, retired from racing. Um, and if the American adopters are looking for greyhounds, it's it's it's, it's certainly an opportunity uh, to continue greyhound rehomings in the U.S. as well. Yes, I can remember the first uh, conference call we had with you and Tina and Rory and, uh, and and some of the IGB folks about starting the program, and, and uh, we were quoting some pretty big numbers that we think will be doable, especially once the uh, 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 the Florida, the rest of the Florida tracks close, because we all know that breeding is going to plummet here in the U.S., and there's just not going to be uh, a lot of greyhounds available for for rehoming, and we got off the call, and I, I, I called Rory back, and I said, Rory, I, I don't know if they believed us or not that you know we can we can bring over greyhounds in the thousands ultimately from uh, from Ireland. I still believe we can uh, once <clears throat> kind of the the whole uh, track closure scenario uh, fulfills itself here in the in the U.S. and we know exactly what the the new breeding numbers will be uh, for our, for our listeners. I can tell you that Barry is the he he does the heavy lifting. He 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 rows the laboring oar with respect to um uh getting the transports arranged and it is a lot of work and it's a lot of frustration because uh you know he, he, tell us a little bit Barry about what you do just kind of your day to day how you go about uh, getting quotes and so forth to get the Irish Browns over to the US. Well, well, when we first uh, spoke about the discussion, uh, I made contact with um, the European Airlines, uh, the Air Lingus in Ireland, British Airways, uh, uh, airlines in Germany, France, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, uh, just to establish that they, they, they carry greyhounds um, uh, to the U.S. Um, all of the advice was uh, that uh, all of the transports are carried out by authorized pet transporting companies. Um, so uh, we had to go into the pet transporting companies to establish, uh, to get the quotes in uh, and to advise that uh, we're in a position to be able to, to maybe um, transport. We, we had 15, 20 at a time and that we felt we'd reduce it then like, just to get things going. That We were talking about uh, six or eight uh, to start with. Um, we also contacted some of the international couriers and that, but uh, n- none of those were in a position at the time to be able to uh, uh, transport pets. But uh, they, like, we, uh, the contact in, like, we got, got the quotes from the various uh, jurisdictions and the, the pet transporting companies. So it was a case of nar- narrowing it down into one, one in each and that, whereby we had uh, one in Ireland, one in the UK. Um, Net- Netherlands, Germany and France will be possible, uh, all right, but it would take probably uh, 30 or so hours to transport the dogs then by by land uh, from Ireland as well. 
um, uh, through, through France, then through the ferry. So it's a case of, right, what, what can we do? Like, so we said to start off, we'd go direct flights from Ireland uh, to make it easier if the dogs were brought to the airport and there was an issue uh, with any of the greyhounds, at least we could just wait there and bring the dog back home. Um, so I suppose starting out, uh, we were looking at the... The, the the standard very giant plastic crate which was uh, 122 centimeters by 81 by 89 um that was fine um starting out but then we we met a situation whereby the because of the Atlanta transport um, whereby we were transporting the dogs by air from Dublin to Heathrow prior to onward journey to Atlanta but in Dublin five of the seven greyhounds uh, were not permitted to travel in the giant plastic crates, uh, due to um, uh, due to not being long enough, so when there was only two to go, we cancelled that transport. And there are uh, IATA guidelines in relation to the, the we'll say the the crate sizes for certain animals and that. And we kind of went on the spec that uh, uh, greyhounds similar size to Great Danes, but not as big. We thought that they'd be fairly comfortable. So after that, then we had to look at the situation whereby that uh, we needed longer crates and uh, and higher crates. So we went for custom-made timber crates, then um, uh, 135 centimeters by 60 by 105 centimeters. So we decided to take a chance, and instead of uh, involving a flight from Dublin to Heathrow, that we would take the dogs by a recognised greyhound transporter to Heathrow for onward journey to Atlanta. We had the crates um, made up in, in, in around the Heathrow area uh, through a connection of the pet transporting company. So that transport went smoothly, I think, John, if memory serves me right. Uh, and the second time of asking, that's it, there wasn't an issue with it. Um, uh, and the most recent transport in was uh, to uh, Washington, um, again, we, we had issues whereby the crate sizes uh, could only go on certain aircraft, and due to passenger numbers, my understanding, um, there was a change of uh, aircraft uh, day or two before the transporter, and we got word that uh, the crates, uh, they didn't transport animals on the particular, the, the, the new uh, aircraft that, that was changed. So I suppose there are all the obstacles that, were, that, were, that we faced along the way. Um, Again, it was an issue. There was a severe weather here at one stage, and there was crates due back from Boston, and it missed the it missed the day that we needed the crates in Ireland. So that's why I suppose we went down the route of timber crates. Then, like whereby it doesn't necessitate a return, we can't get the timber crates back. We can't get the timber crates back because we can't bring in bring back the timber. So it was the plastic crates, then it was a case of uh, what are they going to cost to come back? And it really didn't make economic sense then for to, to disassemble the plastic crates to get them back to Ireland and then back over again. So the timber crates are custom made, one use crates, um, and the, they're much more bulkier and cumbersome for the volunteers, I know, to be able to take them. But there's ways and means, and I think, John, you identified um uh, a local individual that uh, would be in a position to be able to to do something with them as well yes absolutely and the crates have i am sure it's been the number one uh hassle so to speak of uh of the program so far and and Barry, you've had to you've had to bear the burden of of most of that because it's all at your end uh the challenge for us 
on the American end is just what to do with these uh, these timber, these wood crates. Uh, when they come in, they are enormous, uh, and and uh, you know they're not really they're not really suitable for in home use because they are so so big. And so uh, you know we're we're exploring various ways to uh, to dispose of those properly here in Atlanta. We lucked out in that one of our volunteers has a neighbor who likes to build chicken coops. So these crates are going to be, uh, I'll have to get a picture of them soon. They're going to be turned into uh, uh, chicken coops. And so we're, that's, you know, there's challenges all along the way. We knew that that would be the case uh, when we started, but I never envisioned that the, the crates would be the, the number one stumbling mm-hmm. block. It's all these different inconsistent standards. Uh, I fuss a little bit about it because I, it seems like the airlines want the crates big enough that the dogs will rattle around in them during turbulence. And, and uh, you know, I, to me, the, the giant plastic crates, the 700 crates, as they're also known, are more than big enough and, and secure for the dogs. Uh, but the, the, the folks that make the decisions don't see it that way. And so we've had to kind of scramble around a bit and uh, and, and, and get those uh, the crates thing sorted out. I think we have it sorted out now. And you're, you've kind of become the, the crate expert, haven't you? Well, all going well. I suppose it, it's just the fact that, uh, that just the reckon the, the, the giant the giant too, too low, they needed to be higher. But then you go higher and some of the crates would be unsuitable for, for, the, uh, for the aircraft and that. So it's kind of too small, didn't too big. Uh, so, look, we'll get there eventually. Um, it's just that uh, it's it's frustrating. Like, but uh, um, uh, a flight uh, or an aircraft can be changed depending on passenger numbers. Then, carry two hundred and seventy passengers. Another might be able to carry two fifty. If not, uh, if there's not two fifty, they will use the smaller aircraft. In so. Uh, the, the fact that there's cargo on it then doesn't really make a difference by the sounds of it, and that it's just the, it's the, the passenger numbers like would take precedence. So that the station there, and you've the dogs prepared. They have their health checks. Everything is in order. Paperwork sorted out. Copies of paperwork uh, going. The transport of the dogs arranged, and then you have to cancel it all again and uh, try and find. Um, suitable time, both for the volunteers um, and uh, the fact that the, if there's a suitable flight going in, um, which the main thing is the volunteers uh, that are collecting the greyhounds at the airport. But uh, as a, look, we went through the Heathrow route in the past, uh, and I suppose uh, the big worry which we might be able to get over is that if we were in a position maybe to find uh, um a boarding kennel or so in Heathrow whereby a dog that was stopped from going for any reason uh, could go into the boarding kennel that evening and maybe seven out of the eight dogs that were due to go could still go. Um, British Airways operate bigger flights to the U.S. Um, uh, aircraft size-wise, so there shouldn't be any issue with the with the larger crates. Um, uh, again, we have a contact over there now in relation to it. We can get the crates made up over there as well. Like, uh, And we understand that there's probably more opportunities, more destinations from British Airways. Off the top of my head, I think, John, it was seven direct flights from Dublin to the U.S. destinations that had that used the, the, the bigger planes, um, and they were the ones that would only carry the cargo. 
but there's a lot more from Heathrow, which we may be able to, down the road, maybe have a full transport, we have 20 greyhounds going on a transporter with maybe three different destinations of, of seven each, or so um, two US destinations. Uh, the likes of, of a rally in that we'd previously said there as well, where there is a direct flight, whereas the, the Charlotte now has to go to Washington to collect her dog. So there may be more opportunities, more destinations by using Heathrow. And if we're going with seven dogs, why not go with 20 and disperse them three different, uh, put them on three different planes? And I, I know yeah, Atlanta, uh, from your own point of view as well, like uh, there's no direct flight from Dublin to Atlanta. Um, and Orlando would be the closest uh, direct flight but that's probably not, not a possibility. Six and a half hours or so, isn't it, uh, I read? Um, yeah, it's, it's so a long it, way for us. So it's, it's amazing to me that Aer Lingus flies to two cities in, in, uh, in Florida, but none in, not, in, not to Atlanta, which is the transportation hub of the southeast. So uh, that, that's always the, the challenge. Yeah, and I was talking to a, a colleague of mine at work, and he said his brother was over from Atlanta, and I said, God, how did he come here? Uh, he must have been all over the place. Uh, he turns out he had to go to Chicago, Atlanta, Chicago, and then Chicago, uh, I think the Chicago Heathrow, he said, uh, before he came on to, to Ireland. Uh, so like, the fact that there's not a direct flight, you have to go a different route. But look, we could still get there, um, as I say, if we're going over with dogs, just to have that contingency plan in place that we can take back maybe a dog that just gets uh, unwell or stresses out on the transport that we'll be there for it then, like the dogs at the end of the day are the most important uh, in, in, in this venture. Absolutely. You know, I can remember when we got our, we got our Atlanta 7 in, uh, I said, boy, this was a hassle, but these dogs are wonderful. They made the trip quite well better than I would have, mm. given how much time they were confined. And uh, and now they're all with their families. We get pictures from them. And um, uh, it's been, you know, it's it's all worthwhile. It's all worth the hassle. It's all worth the, the frustrations of the last-minute cancellations and sort of that sort of thing when you uh, when you see them in their home. Well, Barry, I'm here, and uh, we appreciate your being with us uh, today. And, uh and folks, remember those Irish Greyhounds when you put in your adoption application. Thanks, Barry. Okay. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.